Trade Talks, bringing you the best of the buy side. Welcome back to episode four of the Trade Talks. Joining me again today is Hayley McDowell, the editor of The Trade. How are you doing today, Hayley? Hi, Kaya. It's really good. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Another weekend down, another week in lockdown, but we're we're still fighting. We're still going. Yeah. But, uh, yeah we, what, week, we good... what week on lockdown are we on now? It's hard to keep track. <laughs> you know, I was having an argument with my friend the other day about this. I was like, sure, it's eight weeks in, but they was like <laughs> saying six. But it, it, that's that's where it's got to, to the point where we don't even know what week it is. I know. But... It's insane, isn't it? Um, did, did you get up so much this uh, this bank holiday weekend? Um, I know your, your options were limited. Uh, no, I know. I mean, I had just a little drive in the car and I think it's that's all you could do right now. Yeah. I mean, we had the announcement from Boris, but again, nothing really changed. But yeah, let's have a little rundown of what we've got going on in today's show. So we're going to start off with a quick look at the news, me and you, Hayley. Then we have today's guest. He is from the London Stock Exchange. It's Scott Bradley, and he'll be talking about the recent volatility in the markets and the record volumes exchanges are seeing. So that's definitely one you want to stick around to and listen to. So that's our interview. And then we're going to try something new at the end. We're going to have our little people move section. So we're going to talk about some of the biggest moves we've seen in the industry and just give you a quick rundown of those. So no more waiting around. Let's just go straight into it. The Trade Talking Points. So Haley, what stories have you been looking at over the past couple of weeks? Okay, so um, I mean, there's, we have definitely haven't been short on news uh, the past couple of weeks. I think um, earnings season has hit some of the big banks pretty hard. Um, I would say, Caius, the, the stories that I've been most interested in um, is certainly um, SOCGEN and BNP Paribas um, first quarter 2020 results, which revealed some staggering numbers, um, really shocking stuff. So we saw SOCGEN recorded a first quarter net uh, 326 million euro um, loss with equities revenues collapsing nearly 99% to just 9 million euros. So this is insane. And and we saw this also happen shortly afterwards um, when BNP Paribas revealed that they um, also saw a massive 118% decline in the equity and prime services within the global markets division. Um, and both of those losses for, for SOCGEN and BNP Paribas were linked to um, European restrictions and cancellations on uh, dividends. So BNP Paribas said that that caused a one-off loss of 184 million euros, which is which is crazy. Um, and and Socgen also saw a 200 million euro loss on on stru- structured products linked to um, future shareholder payments. So. Um, it's going to be an interesting time for for both of these European banks. It's it's been um, you know interesting to see which of the banks were really affected by the volatility that we saw earlier um, prior to the uh, or just um, as the lockdown was was enforced. Um, but yeah, several sort of major losses there for for some big European banks. Um, and we even had the CEO at um, SOCGEN tell the Financial Times that it may be time to rethink uh, the, the bank's equities business um, and to reduce the amount of risk it takes on. So so those are that's definitely one that we've um, we've been looking at very closely. We've been um, going through the earnings reports and and uh, yeah, we've we've reported those. Uh, big big moves, um, yeah. In in the earnings, it's it's been some crazy stuff um, happening. 
Uh, other than that, I would say another very interesting story, Caius, um, is mm. linked to BlackRock. Um, so in BlackRock's first quarter earnings call, um, BlackRock said that they were actually onboarding new clients to Aladdin, which is um, obviously their investment operations platform. Um, so during that initial sort of lockdown phase, um, BlackRock revealed that they had actually onboarded seven new clients. Um, and uh, yeah, they uh, several of those implementations um, were completely remote as well. So some really, really crazy stuff happening. And I think it's interesting there to see the kind of um, way that, you know, asset manager, large asset managers or, um, you know, these, these, these buy side firms, how they're um, operating in, in this sort of working remotely um, environment. So um, yeah, that's, that's one that, that I've been um, keeping an eye on. Um, Kaius, what about you? What sorts of, what kind of stories have, have you been um, interested in? Well, it's interesting you say that this uh, implementing it remotely, I've seen that happen. Well, everyone's been forced to you know, operate remotely, but a lot of people are getting things done, especially with their uh, technologies, which are basically beneficial in this period. And um, actually just speaking on technologies, uh, NASDAQ has gone live with their cloud data service via Amazon Web Service. Now, they confirmed the launch of their cloud-based data service, um, which will give customers a real-time exchange data and index and fund data. So they're doing this really, basically everyone's doing this push. Like I've said many times on the podcast earlier, this whole pandemic's just pushing everyone to kind of get there and use the technology which is out there. Yeah. And they were already being put, you know, everyone had their plans to move into it. And I feel like this is just accelerating it. And uh, yeah, NASDAQ now, uh, they've gone live with theirs through the Amazon Web Service. And yeah, it's just another technology story being uh, a bit fast forward. The proposals are being pushed, basically, because um, it's the way we're going. And I think definitely in the future, uh, coming out of this, all this uh, technology is going to stick. And I really, my just my personal opinion, I think it's going to change the way we work. Like we are doing this podcast remotely. So yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think we're going to see some some trends and some themes that have emerged, you know, because of the, the lockdown and the working from home environment. I think we're going to see some of those emerge and um, yeah, remain with us. Um, things like cloud technology and, and that kind of thing. Yeah, like you say, it's sort of something that was already in the works, but it seems that, you know, perhaps firms will be looking at that more closely and thinking, okay, how can we leverage this um, during this time now, um, you know, to kind of help us with with that with that operations or, or the market data side of things. So yeah, definitely, totally agree with you there, guys. It's like, you know, there was all it's always you have those few people who are last to act or see like, hmm, don't see the potential in a technology or a new service. And I feel like just this, all those people who are a bit, you know, reclined to be fast acting on adapting to new technologies, this is yeah, the boot, the boot forum to get heavily involved with their, that stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. But another one I have been looking at is IHS Market. They have acquired a Singapore-based uh, trade reporting firm, and that is Cantina Technologies. So it's a software as a service provider, and they have basically bought it out, and they will be trying to combine the capabilities of Cantina Technologies with its own end-to-end trade processing workflow. Did we get any financial terms of, of that deal, Caius? There wasn't actually any financial right. terms disclosed, which is 
kind of annoying, but um, yeah, it's just one of them where uh, they held their cards close to the chest. Yeah, sure. No, that that happens quite often. You know, sometimes we get the figures and sometimes we don't. Um, I'm not sure what kind of dictates that, actually. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, it's strange. Probably probably uh, PR team. Most <laughs> likely the PR team. <laughs> And a, another new trend that we've seen emerge from the uh, homeworking and, and the lockdown and things like that um, is one that JP Morgan has flagged. So uh, JP Morgan, we I actually saw a client report um, from the bank's FX e-commerce team. And this report basically was suggesting that clients and, and investors and traders have increased their use of adaptive algo orders sorry that's that's a tongue tie funny word algo isn't it become one of my favorite ones at the moment yeah increase their use of adaptive algo orders sorry um versus obviously the limit-based strategies so this is quite interesting The, the the noteworthy comment that jp morgan made on this was the fact that this was a change when compared to other major liquidity events such as the Brexit day and and the 2016 US election. So there's something changing here. I'm not sure if this is a trend sort of on the um on the market structure side of things or or um you know it might be the the market volatility and things like that that are driving this. Um but a breakdown of order types um as per those liquidity events in the report. So Brexit US election um it found that during those events around 30% of algo order types were adaptive um, and 60% were limit-based. But this has now changed during the um, the coronavirus volatility that we saw in March, um, whereby adaptive order types actually surged to around 50% of, of the algo order types and limit-based orders declined to around 20%. Um, and there's, I suppose there's several reasons, um, you know, with your limit-based strategies or, or your non-adaptive algos, um, you know, they, they fill orders based on a, on a fixed time interval um, or a, a specified limit price. So um, in a sense, you know, the increased challenge of, of targeting a, a specific price, you know, it's, it's a little bit more challenging when the market is moving so quickly and rapidly, prices are changing, um, you know, bid offer spreads are, are widening. And, and I think perhaps um, clients sort of, you know, sought comfort in the adaptive algo logic because essentially uh, the adaptive algos can um, – shift and adapt according to uh market um you know according to the market structure at the time so so that's an interesting one i think i have heard about the adaptive um algos particularly in fx um and this is you know it's not a new thing but um perhaps something that we will see um traders and, and investors um taking advantage of a little bit more although it seems from jp morgan's report that um yeah fx algo trading has has certainly sort of bedded itself in um into the market structure just on that story i have wrote uh, a few stories about algo trading and i can yeah it is embedding itself into the market and i think again uh given the times it's going to have a bit more of a push and it's helping it to assert itself where it is mm-hmm. uh, but yes i have been looking at a story with barclays so yes barclays will be giving greater execution offerings for derivatives exchange to Eurex through its uh barks future and it's going to be launching that in coalition uh in frankfurt so yes the platform will also give users a greater you know deep pools of liquidity to go through and will allow trading of barks across equities, fixed incomes and future futures, sorry. 
think it's also interesting in that story, um, Caius, just sort of after what we were talking about earlier with BNP Paribas and uh, Sokgen, that Barclays saw their equities uh, revenue or, or income rise by 21%. So that's that's an interesting one. I think, um, you know, the fact that you've got not all of these European banks are are struggling under the um, under the pressure of the volatile markets sort of, you know, early on, um, you know, you've got their their counterparts Barclays saying that their equities income actually rose 21%. So yeah, interesting stuff. So yes, on the back of that, uh, thick income increased up by 106%, which is uh, quite astonishing on the back of that. But uh, that's all our news in-depth look now. But next is uh, Scott Bradley, who's joining us on the phone to have a little talk. So stick with us for that. The Trade Talkers. So now joining us on the show is Head of Sales and Global Business Development at LSE Cash Secondary Markets and Turquoise. Please welcome Scott Bradley. How are you doing, Scott? I'm doing very well. Thank you very much for inviting me. How are you guys? Oh, we're all good. You know, working from home, keeping it, uh, keeping sane. I don't know about you, Haley. How are you doing? Yeah, just about, uh, just about keeping sane. I think that's a good way of putting it there, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so just talking about working from home. How's your setup, Scott? Have you uh, managed to get into the flow of this working from home environment? Yeah, that that's a great question. So I think, what is it now, five weeks in for a lot of us? Um, certainly my team have all been uh, working from home for about five, five or six weeks. And I think it's all about finding that rhythm. It's about finding that balance, isn't it? It's, um, you know, we, we've got lives, we've got families, we've um, we've got to navigate a number of challenges away from from what's on our, on our desktops. But... Um, at the same time, it's still business as usual. It's you know, a really busy period of time and it's just finding that balance. So so I think personally, I'm, I'm quite comfortable now with how things are set up. I think from a, a technology standpoint, the industry and, and uh, uh, financial services industry in particular has, has really had to accelerate some of the more agile working environments uh, and some of the digital desktop applications that we're all using now. But I think we all feel pretty connected. So I would, um, I'd like to think, hopefully, that, that uh, you know, we're, we're, we're settled and we're prepared. But um, let's see how it goes. Well, that's it. Everyone's working in the kitchens, the bedrooms, even the garden when it's sunny. But uh, let's just go into the first question here. So the recent volatility has been described as a major test for markets. How would you say market infrastructure and functioning has coped in recent weeks? And what were some of the challenges that they faced? Well, absolutely. So we saw those unprecedented volumes and volatility uh, in the marketplace right at that period when a lot of uh, individuals and financial services firms started to operate remotely and, and move to split site operations and work from home environments. So it was uncharted territory. Um, I think certainly in, in the 20 years or so I've been in the capital markets, it was the first time that traders were actually working from home, taking positions from a remote access. So that was that was all uh, new territory to be navigated. And I think fundamentally, we'd all agree that, that financial services, capital markets proved that they were able to maintain robust, orderly, um, fair markets during the those incredible stress periods. We saw unprecedented volumes, uh, well, certainly in terms of trade activity, and uh, the markets showed that they were scalable. So certainly from an infrastructure perspective, it shows all of the, the planning and the work that had gone into um, scenario and BCP planning. 
came into effect. And, and you know what, we also had to learn on the go as well. So uh, I, I think a number of firms found that their original plan A and plan B became plan C, but it seems to have worked. And I think if we look at the markets now, we seem to have calmed down and people are able to now take stock. And, and as I mentioned before, get onto that front foot again and, and look to continue to innovate and progress with, with clients and, 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 provide those stable markets that, that we're looking for. And Scott, you've, you've mentioned there a, a couple of times the the fact that, you know, exchanges are seeing record volumes um, in these unprecedented times. Um, what about the sort of liquidity landscape, you know, that lit and dark um, sort of split? Have you seen any sort of evidence of, you know, a shift towards dark trading at all? Or, or, or are we seeing more lit activity? Yeah, that's a great question, Hayley. So, so if we just think back to the end of February and into March, when that heightened activity really started, um, it, it's no doubt the evidence shows and the numbers show that there was a flight to lit. There was a movement back towards lit trading venues, primary markets in particular, but lit continuous trading surged. Now, if you look at where 2019 volumes were um, on a European consolidated basis, it was about 28 billion euros a day of activity in the lit continuous. That surged over Q1 to 41 billion euros on an average daily value traded basis. And in March, I think it was somewhere like 57 or 58 billion. So we really saw that that movement back towards the lit markets where immediacy of fill and certainty of fill was really people you know, top of people's agenda. And, and we know about the, the quant sell-off story that was coming out from, um, uh, from, from the US in particular and that, that deleveraging, that de-risking taking place in in March and that was really in one of the, the catalysts for that that surge in in, in trading activity now uh, we also saw uh, the corresponding time to that we saw significant increases in dark trading as well so dark block trading in particular um, I think this year so since December we've seen about an incremental increase of about a billion euros a day of dark block activity taking place in the market. So I think March, it was up at something like 7 billion euros a day of dark trading. Turquoise Plato Block Discovery, the conditional dark venue that we operate at uh, London Stock Exchange Group, that uh, witnessed record activity. We were trading over a billion euros a day, I think 1.2 billion on a couple of days, at the same time that the lit markets and the lit continuous were also incredibly busy. So we saw all forms of liquidity channel see record activity. And that includes the, the lit auctions, now turquoise, plato, lit auctions, and other frequent batch auction uh, mechanisms. Also saw increased activity and record levels of activity. So I think when people are looking for immediacy, they're searching for liquidity. All of these channels that we've been promoting across the market came into their own and were able to provide that service for investors. Now, if we look at um, March, again, sort of mid-March, I think 12th of, of March in particular, we actually saw the record activity on the London Stock Exchange ever. We saw 2.9 million trades. Now, if I was to ask you, I'll bounce this back to you guys. What, what do you think the second record um, uh, ever witnessed in the London Stock Exchange related to in terms of number of trades? <laughs> I wish what I knew. <laughs> tell us, tell us. The day after the UK referendum vote. So of June, June 24th, 2016. That was the second record day in terms of activity. Now that saw 2.7 million trades versus the 2.9 we saw on March the 12th. Big difference being though, notional traded was about 10 and a half, 11 billion pounds um, on 
uh, on the 12th of March this year, but it was over 14 billion, 1.4 billion back in June 2016. So it shows that, that whilst activity and, and uh, velocity of turnover on the books increased, trade sizes decreased. And the proportion of activity that we saw across all of the lit venues increased uh, during continuous trading phases. And whilst there was an absolute increase in volume activity on a relative basis, the, the amount of activity happening at the close across Europe in particular decreased. So, so really that culminates in saying there was a two year reversal in activity on the lit continuous markets. And that was primarily at the expense of OTC and SI business. Now, that's not to say there wasn't an increase in SI activity as well. I think it was up about 20% versus 2019 numbers. But in relative terms, SI activity took a hit to the region of about 3% share of market overall. So that relative shift, again, I keep saying it, back to the lit markets, yes, dark block activity saw record volumes. People are getting their business done in blocks. Average trade sizes are increasing in the dark blocks whilst decreasing on the lit continuous. And that relative proportion of activity in the close became, became smaller. I think it moved from somewhere about over that 30% mark that's been talked about for the last year or so of yeah. activity happening in the close. On certain days in March, uh, and, and certainly the last couple of weeks in March, that dipped to just over the 20%, 22%. So a significant wow. decrease in relative activity happening at the close. I think it's absolutely fascinating, you know, the fact that you've, you know, you said yourself there, it's almost like seeing a sort of a reversal of the past sort of two year trends that we've we've been seeing. It's, it's absolutely fascinating to, to kind of, you know, watch this unfold. Uh, I'm keen to just sort of talk a little bit more about, you know, you, you mentioned the fact that, uh, you know, the execution landscape has, has certainly changed. You, you're seeing sort of, you know, more large blocks now, increased activity in, in the lit auctions um, and NSIs as well. Um, for for the, the, uh, LSE turquoise venues, um, you know, that, that are seeing an uptick in in uh, in volumes during this period. Um, what, what would you say is kind of driving that? Is it kind of the the, the service that you guys are providing and, and the kind of the functioning of those venues that's really driving volumes during these times? Well, as I said, providing and maintaining orderly, fair, robust, and safe markets is is number one for all infrastructure providers out there. And and I think it was testament to the fact that the markets continued all of that BCP work that that across all of the markets um, came to came to fruition. I, I think um, we, we saw, as I mentioned it earlier, that I think it was Morgan Stanley's Quant Prime brokerage business, if I can say that, in the US put out a paper all about the deleveraging, the, the de-risking or degrossing, as the US like to call it, of, um, of quant funds. And, and that really is what one of the key drivers of that short spike in activity uh, was all about in March. Now, volumes have settled. And if we look at where 2019 volumes were towards the back end of the year, we're probably about you know, at the same sort of level in terms of turnover again now. So um, whilst volatility is still uh, a little higher, the, the uh, average daily value traded across venues is, is in line with where we were pre the, the, the heightened activity. Now, uh, you know, as, as a provider of, of liquidity channels, both through London Stock Exchange and through, through Turquoise, Lit and Dark, yes, we would like to think that, um, that, that we've, we've hopefully been uh, working in partnership with our clients to help educate on, on what 
channels and liquidity offerings we have available. And when people have really needed them, they've been able to service and provide that liquidity that, that people have been looking for. So, so I, I think what we're, we're now in the phase of doing is, is getting back onto the front foot in terms of business as usual activity and looking to innovate and, and looking at how we can continue that trend of working with clients to provide liquidity offerings. And that leads quite nicely onto some of the offerings we've got coming up in the summer. So, so um, as I've said, I've mentioned periodic auctions and turquoise lid auction, increasing activity. We've got a reintroduction of a good for auction order type that is scheduled in July, which will allow participants to access the, the lit auctions with an IOC capability, which will allow them to look to build the, the channel into different smart order routing logics, which I think is exciting. We've got, so we talked about the close and the, the, the importance of that closing auction uh, period in, in Europe. And, and what we're looking to do through, through turquoise trade at last will be to provide a continuation of that turquoise plate of block trading service that everybody is, is utilizing and getting the benefits of um, currently. And what we'll be looking to do is just extending that into a trade at last period once the primary market close has formed and produced a, a closing price. So instead of finding the midpoint in blocks, conditional, dark, undisclosed, trade at last, turquoise trade at last will provide you the opportunity to look for those same types of blocks, but this time at the closing price of the underlying primary market, which is really exciting because that's the first time you get an undisclosed dark opportunity to trade at the closing price, and it doesn't interfere with the price formation process of the primary markets. So it, it's you know, periods like this where we're trying to take advantage of the, uh, the, the, the calming in the markets and you know, the resiliency planning that everybody has worked so hard on has meant that people are now able to focus on new liquidity initiatives. Those are two examples that we've got coming up in, in July. And you know, wearing the London Stock Exchange hat, we're going to be focusing again on our integrated order types. We've seen that the, the market uh, had a flight to lit. We, we've seen the, the robust performance of the London Stock Exchange markets and other primaries out there. And also we saw in March a, a really bumper month in terms of hidden midpoint pegged liquidity as well. We saw over 750 million pounds trading blocks mid in the uh, integrated hidden midpoint pegged order type. So uh, these are these are offerings we're going to be focusing on continuing to evolve and and work with clients on to try and maintain that liquidity provision as we continue in this uh, uncertain period. Scott, sounds like there's some really exciting things um, happening at, at the LSE. Thank you so much for, for joining us. I wish we had more time to talk, um, but really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks, Scott. No, not at all. Thank you very much, Hayley, and thank you, Kais. The Trade Talkers. Well, big thanks to Scott for joining us on the phone. As always, it's a pleasure. Now, Hayley, we want to try something new. I've created a new uh, little section of the show where we just talk about the biggest uh, people moves which we've seen recently. Who is where? People moves. I'll start off. Let me go over who I've been speaking to. And actually, I have been speaking to her in person. I was speaking earlier this week and made a video with Vicky Saunders, who is now the new global head of investment analytics at LiquidNet. Now, this was reported a while ago, 
But we made a full video. We talked about her move and we also talked about uh, the impact she's been facing with uh, the coronavirus, the COVID-19 pandemic. So go click on that video if you want a bit more in-depth uh, knowledge about that. And uh, also I was speaking, uh, well, I wrote a story about this, which you can check on, uh, cloud computing and machine learning expert Warren Bakley, uh, sorry, Warren Barkley, he's joining Clearwater and he will be joining as the chief technology officer. Yeah, so I would I would say that one of the biggest um, people moves, which came, um, I think it was last week now, uh, is the fact that Hong Kong Exchanges and Clearings uh, longstanding chief executive Charles Lee uh, will not be seeking re-election as chief, chief executive at the end of his current contract in October 2021. Um, this is a, a massive move. Um, the exchange said that Lee will continue in the role uh, until October 2021, even if a successor is is chose before then uh, but particularly interesting because you know obviously we um we all know about the uh hong kong exchanges um bid for uh to acquire the london stock exchange group which um which was quickly rejected uh by the london stock exchange um and we also saw the uh, ceo of london stock exchange um david swimmer uh, and charles lee uh, almost go head to head at a conference in september to discuss the deal um but yeah it, you know it, it all kind of um fell through in the end but interesting that it's shortly after that that um he's decided not to to seek re-election but um, you know, during his 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 te- tenor with um, Hong Kong exchanges and clearing, he he's he's done some massive things. Uh, you know, we've seen the the Stock Connect trading links launch um, to to sort of open up the the access to markets in in China. We also saw that um, Hong Kong exchanges and clearing um, acquired the London Metal Exchange in 2012 under his leadership. So um, yeah, definitely can't say that Lee had um, had a massive impact on on the exchange. Uh, but yeah, interesting the the timing and his decision to announce that he will not be seeking re-election. Trade talks, bringing you the best of the buy side. So that sound means that it's unfortunately the time to end the show. But just want to give one plug before I go. I have been working on a new program, Trade Calls. The first episode is out. That's with Vicky Sanders. I gave a little mention to her earlier in the podcast. So yeah, go check that out and. Uh, episode two is coming out this week so interesting things we can speak to everyone around the world despite lockdown so yeah go give that a listen and anything have you got anything to say Haley? before we go no i think that's uh that's about us um you know fully covered um but yeah the trade calls thing is is really good stuff um so yeah you can find those videos on uh thetradenews.com and we'll of course be uh sending those out regularly so um yeah video interviews and and things like that with uh with some senior people in the industry so yeah exciting stuff well thank you guys for tuning in again we'll catch you soon bye now <laughs>